is in a great, great Savior, and man, I don't know, I just, I want to, I want to run to the Father with all of my brokenness, with all of my pain, with all of my frustration, I want to run to him, and so I'm grateful to be reminded this morning of where our hope lies, and so I know you just sat, but I'm going to ask you to stand, I know, I know, just stretch a little bit more. And don't get comfortable yet, praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians. And we are in chapter 2 this week, and we are continuing on in our indivisible series, Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to verse 18. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to verse 18. And when you got it, say so. And it says, therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the beautiful reminders today of our hope is in you <clears throat> and that our hope is secure in you and in you alone, Lord. We thank you because you are a great Savior, because you are a good Father, and because you welcome us into your presence, God. And so I pray that in these next few moments as we are in your word that our ears would be open, God, that our hearts would be turned toward you and that we would not just be hearers this morning, but that we would be respondents, that we would be doers of your word. Build our faith, Lord God, and remove every distraction from our minds and from our hearts, God. Whatever we have planned later today, whatever we're going to do when this service is over, whatever this week ahead of us has. Father, may all those things subside and be silenced at this moment, and may we be attentive to you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so as I said, we are continuing in our Indivisible series, and this week I want to talk about being unified witnesses, being unified witnesses. And one thing that I have noticed, and I'm really careful when I make statements like the one I'm about to make, which is that there has been no time in recent history that the witness of the church has been so intensely called into question. And when I say that I'm careful about those statements is because I'm a little bit younger than some of you in the room, and some of you have seen things that I have not seen. And so when I look at the unrest that is going on in our world, and I was communicating a few weeks ago, somebody who was a little bit older than me communicated to me, well, you know, you don't, you don't remember the Watts riots, and they started talking about things way back in the day that I'm like, yep, you know what? You're right. I wasn't there. Come on now. 
But what I do know is that I've been saved for, you know, 20-something years, and as I have been walking with the Lord, there has never been a time that I can remember in the time that I've been walking with Jesus that there has been this much question of the witness of the church, that there, that there has been so much vitriol when it comes to the church. Now, there's always been antagonism, right? Like, there has never been a time that there's not been antagonism or people who were anti-Christian, anti-church, anti-Bible, those have always been been in existence, and you've always heard those voices. But let me say something, and I say this just for historic reference point, because what I know is this, is that the overwhelming evangelical support of the, of the presidency of Donald Trump, that is what created such a vitriolic response where people began to be overwhelmed, and because you voted for him, man, you didn't really love Jesus. You were a racist, you were a bigot, you were this and that, and they went down the list, and especially if you were an evangelical, how could you do it? Now, 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 this is not an argument for anything. This is simply factual. I remember the next day after the election, four years ago, reading a Huffington Post thing calling the witness of evangelicals. Have Christians lost their ability to witness? Listen, it's a lie. No, here's what I want you to realize. All of that stuff is secondary, and that is something that the enemy will utilize in order to turn the conversation. Can I encourage you with something? Don't let that become the conversation. Because here's the truth, no matter who's in office, no matter who's running the country, no matter any of that, the world still needs the gospel. It still needs the faithful witness of the church. And here's the deal, you and I cannot renege on God's divine mandate for us to make disciples. And so when we are out there in this world, listen, we may disagree politically, we may disagree on a whole bunch of different things, but here's what we know, is that the world needs the gospel. And the church cannot be silent because what I know is that we are living in a moment, man, where the enemy wants us to be quiet, where the enemy doesn't want us to open our mouths. And the truth of the matter is, is that in some situations, it seems like he has the upper hand because what can you say? Listen, what you can say is it's not about any of that stuff, but it's about Jesus. It is about Christ. It is about our desperate need for a Savior. Last night, some of you know that I was, I was part of an event for the, uh, the Underground Railroad. Uh, the Underground, yes, so, so it's, it's Operation Underground Railroad. And so this is a, an organization that is rescuing children and rescuing people from child trafficking. I mean, just a, an amazing organization. And the one thing that I didn't say last night that I wish I would have said last night, I was kicking myself, you know, just, just overwhelmingly all day. So I'm going to say it now since I didn't say it yet. Yesterday. But the one thing is this, is the reason why I strongly believe that the church should be supportive of such organizations is because Jesus came on a rescue mission. The gospel is about Christ who came to rescue us, to deliver us, to set us free. We were in bondage. Jesus said what? He came to seek and to save the lost. Can I tell you something? There's a lot of lost people don't realize they're lost. There's a lot of sick people, they don't realize they're sick. As a matter of fact, some of us uh, of certain persuasion, uh, we, 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 uh, we tend not to like to go to the doctor because what? We don't want to hear about what's wrong. Come on now. They say this, this is a, I, I, can't, I can't verify this statistic, but the statistic is that married men live longer than single men. This is, now I, I can't verify. The reason why is because they're married to someone who makes them go to the doctor, glory to God. <laughs> They're married to someone who cares enough and says, babe, you got this. I mean, if I tell my wife I have a pain site, you go to the doctor. I'm making a point for you right now. 
<laughs> right? I mean, that's just how, because she loves me, she cares for me, where me, I'm like, I'll just figure out a way to deal with the pain or whatever. It'll go away. What, you know, here's the thing that there's a lot of people in this world that they are the same way. It's not about a, a specific persuasion, whether male or female. No, 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 no. It is just about the way that we live. And we don't realize until we are encountered with the doctor that we are sick. We're driving, we think we know where we're going, we're lost. We don't want to ask for directions because we know where we're going. <laughs> you, you, you ever been to a place that they did construction and you're like, wow, what, where am I going? Ever, I mean, you've been lost in something, I mean, in, in a scenario like that. And there are people who are living their lives that are lost. And here's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to throw all kinds of things in the way of a conversation with someone who is lost, who is sick, who is in need of a savior. Mr. So Church, here's what I would say. This is what I want you to think about this morning. Disciple making, which is what I'm talking about today. Uh, disciple making is most effectively done by disciples unified in witness. Discipleship, disciple making is most effectively done by disciples who are unified in witness. Those who are saying, you know what, I want to be about the gospel. I have opinions about a bunch of stuff, but I want to be sure that the one thing that my life is marked by more than anything else, and I would challenge you with this this morning, what marks your witness in this world? What is it that stands out above everything else in this world? When people think about you, when people talk about you, if people, listen, if people were to go ahead and write a report about your life, what would they say stands out the most about you? Is it what your opinions are on? Is it what you think about this thing or that thing? Or is it that you are a person who is given to the gospel? A person who is real about their relationship with Christ. A person who is serious about their witness. Church, we have to be unified in our witness. Again, when I spoke at the event yesterday, I do believe that the church should be part of and supportive of organizations that are helping Kids, Kids House in Sanford is another organization that I want to find out more about because they're helping children. They're, I mean, they're doing something in this battle, and I think that we can be part of that. But let me say this clearly. That does not mean that that is going to be the primary thing that the church is about. Are you here? The primary thing that the church has to be about always is about making disciples. It is not only about making disciples. It is about making much of Jesus in everything that we do. That our lives are marked by what? Our witness to who Christ is, what Christ has done. That we are sharing with this world that is in desperate, desperate need of change. The only one who can change them and that is Christ. Our lives have to be marked by that. We have to be unified in our efforts. The problem with the church and the reason why this sermon series to me becomes so imperative is because we are not unified. We are not one. We are not striving together. We're pulling. It's like we're pulling a sled in different directions. We have to be unified in our witness. And so the first thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Say a unified witness, a unified witness. begins with the work of God in salvation. in salvation. 
a unified witness begins with the work of God in salvation. And so if you look at verses 12 through 13, look what it says there. After Paul comes out, he and, and we went over this last week, and we talked about the, the beautiful explanation, the poetic revelation that Paul brings forth and talking about the incarnation of Christ and how Christ came to this earth, how he became a man, but not only a man, but he suffered submitting himself, subjecting himself to the suffering, to the shame of the cross. And because of that, what happened? The Father exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, right? Whether on earth, whether uh, uh, under the earth, in heaven, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Paul explains that, and then he says, therefore, so... He is connecting his communication here to what he just said. He's saying because of the one who has the name above every name, because of the one who suffered in shame, because of the one who died and rose again, because of the one who divested himself of glory, because of him, therefore, work out, or my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I want you to realize that what Paul does is he calls us to the most natural thing, which is what? It is obedience to Christ. This is what he's doing. He is simply saying that, listen, if you believe that Jesus died, if you believe that Jesus rose again, if you have put your faith and your trust in him, then what that means is that you should be walking in obedience to him. You should be walking in alignment with his will, in alignment with his word. The most natural response to the work of Christ in salvation is this. It is to engage with God to work out what he has completed and he is fulfilling. I love what Paul says here. He says, and, and this part of the verse is, is the part that many of us are familiar with, to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. And I want to unpack that verse because it's really, that part of the verse, because it's very important for us to understand what Paul is communicating. But he starts that off, my beloved. The, those that he loves, those that he cares about, the, the, he, he expresses this passion that he has for these people. Remember, one of the first church plants that Paul has is the church in Philippi. And so he expresses this compassion, this care, this concern for them. And he says what? As you have always obeyed. So what, is that, what, what does that tell us? What that tells us is that Paul is expressing that they from the beginning did what? They obeyed God's word. From the beginning, they responded in faith to God. From the beginning, they were adhering to what God was commanding them to do. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. See, here's the thing. It's easy when mom and dad are there for you to act right. But when mom and dad leave, hmm. See, when I'm present in the room with you, right, when, when someone you respect as a spiritual authority is present in the room with you, you know, a lot of times you're on your P's and Q's a little bit more than you would be if you were by yourself. Or with someone else, right, you get around a group of people and, and you know, they're all about, ah, you know, well, yeah, you know, I, you know we, we, can, we can live, you know, everybody sins, you know, and you get around those folks that don't call you to a higher level of living, and it's easy to just, you know, Kind of go with the flow. But when someone is there, we're saying, wait, wait, wait a second, that's not, that's not Christian living. 
That's, that, that, that's not consistent with what it means to be a believer. All of a sudden, we act differently. And so what has happened here is that we know, and we'll look at this a little bit later, but there were divisions in the church in Philippi. There was, some, there was some stuff that was happening after Paul left. There was some things that began to occur that Paul was like, man, when, when, when Epaphroditus came back to him, gave him some reports, Paul was like, wait, 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 time out, guys. Hold on a second. We're supposed to live a certain way. And, and, and we have to realize that we're supposed to live a certain way because what? There's a goal in mind, and that goal is to become like Christ, which brings us to the second part of that verse there, which is work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Now, I want to say something on the, on, on the front end of this. Salvation is all of God. Say amen to that, please. Salvation is all of God. You do not save yourself. I do not save myself. There is nothing that I or you can do to add to the work that Christ has already done. Amen? Amen. Okay, so when Paul is telling us to work out our salvation, I don't want you to get confused like Paul is saying work for your salvation. That's not what Paul said. Paul did not say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. We should know this. Jesus secured for us what we couldn't secure for ourselves. That's what the gospel is about. We are sinners. We are born into sin. We are separated from God because of our rebellion, because of our disobedience. And what happens is that we can try as we will, and we can seek to please God, appease God, make God happy with us in our own ability. We can go to church. We can give money. We can volunteer. We can do all kind of good stuff stuff and all of that will fall short of God's glory because what? We are still sinful. And so what God does is God comes in the form of a man, which is the beginning portion of chapter 2. He lays his life down for us. He takes our sin upon himself. He becomes our substitute and what? Dies in our place, gives his life as a ransom for us. And that way he can do what? He rises again to show us his power over sin and death. And then he does this. He offers us salvation. He offers us eternal life. He gives us his life, right, in place of ours. And so now we can have this salvation where God is the one who is the author and finisher of our faith. That's clear, right? There's no question. No one can save themselves. But when we think about salvation, this should be clear. It should be clear that salvation is, is, is not just one-dimensional, but it's like three-dimensional, right? And so what happens is you are saved, meaning you are justified. The moment that you put your faith in Christ, what does he do? He wipes the slate clean. He calls you a new creation. He calls you a son or a daughter. He calls you his child. He calls you his family. That's what he does for us. He says we're no longer guilty before him. And so that is called justification. So that's something that happens immediately. We, don't, we can't add to that. We can't take away from that. And then there is this last part, and I'm going to get to the middle part because this is what we're dealing with here, but this last part called glorification, that moment where we, where we go from here to glory and where we talk about this in communion every week, where we go into a realm, into a state of being where we are living in eternity with God. We are no longer subject to our flesh. We are no longer subject to sickness, sin, disease, hardship, brokenness, depression, anxiety, fear, doubt. All of those things are wiped away, and now we are with God eternally in glory in a glorified state reigning and ruling with Christ worshiping God that's the day that we look forward to amen, amen. 
But there was this in-between place. <laughs> and it is called sanctification. Say sanctification. It is called sanctification, the setting apart, the making someone or something holy. And when Paul is speaking here, he is specifically focusing on this thing called sanctification. See, sanctification is about our horizontal walk in this earth. It is about our relationship with other people. It is even about our relationship with God in the sense that it is about us glorifying him and honoring him. And so when Paul says to work out your salvation, this is what the word work out means. It means to carry to the goal or to carry to its ultimate conclusion. So what is the goal of our salvation? What is the ultimate conclusion of our salvation? I'll say it like this. It is Christ-likeness. The ultimate goal of our salvation is to glorify God in our lives, is to glorify God in all of eternity. And so what we have here is Paul saying work out. And here's the way that I would say this. It is not work for, it is to work towards. Paul is literally saying work towards the ultimate goal. When I thought about the word work out, right, I thought about the actual context of the word work out. Like when someone works out, like what are they doing? Because here's what happens. When someone is working out, there's, there's two types of people that I see that work out. There, there are those who work out for maintenance. I'm not in that category yet. <laughs> the ones that they've already arrived at their goal weight. They, they already have the physique they want. They're already, you know, looking how they want to look. They, they've already hit all the markers, and now they're just working out to maintain. They're not trying to get bigger or smaller. They're just, they're, they're maintenance folks, right? <laughs> I don't like them very much, but anyway, it's all good. <laughs> but then there are the rest of us. I will call it that way. The rest of us, right? The rest of us that have to watch everything we eat if we want to get to a specific goal. The rest of us that if we look at a cheesecake, we gain two pounds. You know, the rest of us that are there. You know, the rest of us that struggle, and I'm just joking, but you know what I'm saying, right? The rest of us that we have goals and we are striving toward. We're working towards a specific place. We're working toward a specific goal. Whatever that goal is, we are working toward that. That is our effort. That is where our energy is. We are striving toward something. It is the same thing for us as believers. We are not, listen, we do not look like Jesus yet. There are none of us in the maintenance phase of faith. Are you here? There are none of us who have already arrived, who have already achieved glory. There are none of us who have come to the place where we don't think bad things anymore, where our attitudes align with Christ and everything, where we think exactly like Jesus. Jesus, where we do everything that Jesus would do. None of us have gone to that place. Therefore, we are to work toward Christ-likeness. And listen, if you think you've arrived to the maintenance phase, we need to have a conversation. Because I need to know how you got there so quickly. Because <laughs> I want to get there. for I need that pill, glory to God. <sighs> we are all supposed to work out our salvation. And Paul doesn't just say work out your salvation, but he uses some other terminology with fear and trembling. So it isn't just work toward a goal, but there's a way that you work toward a goal. In the natural sense, right, if you have a certain goal, if you want to gain weight, then you do what? Some of you are like, I don't even care. You're right, but listen, for those that want to gain weight, that means you increase calories, right? That's what you have to do. For those of you that want to lose weight, then you need to lower calories. Amen. I know that's great revelation. But anyway, <sighs> If, if, if you want to be in, you know, you, you have a specific goal, there's a way to do it. 
So you don't work toward this salvation of Christ-likeness. You don't work toward being like Christ just however you want, just flippantly. No, 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 no. You do it with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. What does he mean by fear and trembling? I want to give you this, this definition, so just stick with me on this. This is a long one here. But this fear is self-distrust. Work out your salvation not trusting yourself, not trusting in your own abilities. It is tenderness and conscience. It is always being sensitive to, to thinking about, man, wait, wait a second, am I, am I violating my conscience with this behavior, with this entertainment, with this activity? It is, it is vigilance against temptation. It is recognizing that temptation is there always, knocking at the door, creeping, as it were, waiting for you to put your guard down. And that way you can fall into that temptation and do what? Feel condemnation and feel disconnected from God. Or even worse, you violate your conscience and then you become insensitive to God. And now you trust yourself rather than the truth. This fear and trembling, it is this, when, when the word of God says, be not high-minded, but fear. Don't think too highly of yourself. It is thinking this way about yourself. It is the caution. It, it, it is thinking about how, wait a second, I don't want to tell, or I should take heed lest I fall. That's what fear and trembling is. It is a constant apprehension of the deceitfulness of your heart, of the insidiousness and power of inward corruption. It is recognizing, man, the heart is deceitfully wicked. And many times when I am feeling certain ways, I heard, I heard this, this gentleman say this today. He said that, that, that feelings and emotions are supposed to be a gauge, not a guide. Let that sink in for a second. Feelings and emotions are supposed to be a gauge, not a guide. They're supposed to show you where you are with the Lord. Are you following his will? Are you disaligned with him? They're not supposed to be guiding you. That's the problem in our culture right now is that our feelings are the guide, not the gauge. Our emotions are leading us rather than truth. Listen, listen, gauges just do what? They tell you, hey, the temperature's hot, the temperature's cold. They, they, and you know you need to respond to that in a specific way. They're not guiding you and everything that you're doing. Church, we need to wake up. Because the enemy wants us to do what? He wants us to be led by our emotions and not truth. We have to allow God to show us. It is us making sure that we have one goal in mind. I want to please God in everything. And so I'm asking this question in everything that I do. Is this pleasing the Lord? It goes on to say in the next verse, if you look at verse 13, it says, for it is God who works. If you have the King James Version, it is God that worketh. I love that. <laughs> it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Can I tell you something? God is not setting you up for failure. Our vision is to please the Lord in everything that we do. It's not an impossible goal. It's one that is done by faith. And what we have to realize is that God himself is setting us up to achieve this. 
God works in us to will and to do. So what does that mean, God works? Here's what it means. It means God empowers us. God gives us the, uh, the, the energy. The, the Greek word there is, is the Greek word that gives us the word energy or to energize. God works effectively in us. So how does he do it? To will and to do. So what does he do? God effectively to will means to change our desires. He changes our hearts. As a matter of fact, just think about this. The word there for will actually deals with emotion. So what does he do? I just said a moment ago that our emotions are meant as a gauge, not a guide. And so what does God do? God aligns our hearts with his heart as we spend time. See, here's the thing. This is why Paul says, work out your salvation. Because you and I are supposed to be active participants in sanctification. Listen to me. It is not God's job alone to make you do everything he wants you to do. Are you here? (laughs) Some people are like, well, God's got to do it. Hold on a second. God already did everything he was supposed to do. What are you doing? You're supposed to be working out your salvation. You are supposed to be submitting yourself, committing yourself, aligning yourself with God's word and God's truth. How do we do that? So as we are in his word, as we are in prayer before him, as we are seeking him, I love Dr. Peter Alwinson in Forge Ministry. And listen, for you men that are here, every Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, we have a, I have a table there. There's space. There's other tables in there. I would love for you to join me and come and sit and be with us in that time. Have great discussion over God's word. If you can't make the one on Tuesdays, there's one on Thursdays as well. And Longwood, that one is the same time. And so you can go to those. I would love to encourage you to be there. It's a great, great place for men to gather, hear God's word. But the one thing that Dr. Pete always communicates about I think every Thursday he says something, he sends something out called from the doghouse, D-A-W-D. Daily appointment with God is what he calls it. A daily appointment with God. It is so imperative. Men, women, it is so, so imperative that you have a consistent daily appointment with God every day. That you are in God's presence more days of the week than you're not. So that means, listen, if if we're doing math, right, seven, so that means you got to get in there at least four. But four is not the goal. The goal is every day to be in God's presence. The goal is every day to be, but why do we need, that is part of working out our salvation. It is us coming into alignment, coming into a place where we can hear from God, where we can receive from God, where God can work out. He can work in what? Our will. He can change our desires. He can align our emotions unto his will and make us more like him. God empowers us by changing our desires, changing our feelings. And he says he doesn't just work to will, but to do. So what does God do there? What God does is he empowers us and enables us to create habits of righteousness, to create habits of godliness, to create habits of justice and living for his glory. That's what he does. He does those things if we're aligning to work out our salvation. It's not just on him, church. It is on us to be part of this sanctification process. And here's what I will say. As a follower of Jesus, there should be marked progress in your walk with Christ. Let me say that again. As a follower of Jesus, there should be marked progress in your walk with Christ. 
Listen, we talked about working out earlier. I can tell if I'm working out. Hello. My pants will help me define if I'm working out or not. The clothing size that I wear will help me define if I'm working out effectively or not. When I, you know, I just started riding a bike a few weeks ago. When we're riding this bike and, and, and I'm doing a specific speed I couldn't do before, consistently, not just for a moment, come on now. I can see if this working out is working or not. There is a way to, can I tell you something? Christianity is no different. This is not a one and done. Hey, I said a prayer one day, I'm good to go. No, this is about us looking at our lives, looking in the mirror of God's word and saying, man, am I becoming more like Jesus? Because here's what I will say, and this, and, and this may be tough to swallow, but if we are not becoming more like Christ in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our words, in our desires, in our behaviors, there is a problem, and it's not with God. If we are not becoming more like Christ, it's not someone else's fault. It's our fault. Because God is able, the question is, are you willing? And not just are you willing, because we all say, oh, yes, I'm willing. No, 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 are you available? Are you showing you're willing, right? Again, we go back to those that are trying to lose weight. Are you really willing to cut the calories, put the work in? Sincerely. We all say we want things. But do we really want those things? Do we really want Christ-likeness? Do we really want to be more like Jesus? Do we really want to think more like Christ? Listen, I, and I encourage you guys to do this every year, to sit down. And, and listen, it's, it's later on in the year, but it's not too late. You know why? Because it's never too late with God. But I encourage you on an annual basis to sit down and, 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 and prayerfully consider one area in your life, one area in your life that you know, man, I got to grow in this area. This is an area where I know that I need to grow. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's your speech. Maybe it is your temper. Maybe it is in desires that you have that you need to address. I don't know what, what it is. Maybe it's in being a person who is, who is a, a cheerful giver. I, I, I love the story when, when, when I got this, this understanding of this annual activity of letting God sanctify you in a particular area. I was reading a book called Leadership, Leadership That Last by Dave Kraft. And so as I was reading the book, I remember that I was looking at the book, uh, re reading it in the chapter, and he was talking about, you know, this particular year, he said that he was trying to grow in his generosity. And so he was on his way to, to take his daughter to school. And as he was on his way to take his daughter to school, they were having a conversation and his daughter is there and, you know, they're talking about this and they're having the conversation about the area he's trying to grow in. And so the year is coming to the end. And as the year is coming to the end, he's telling his daughter, yeah, the thing that I've been trying to grow in this year is, you know, being generous. And she said, dad, you might want to take another year for that. And so listen, you may start off and say, man, I got to grow in this area. And you come to the end of the year like, man, I haven't grown. You know what that means? Start up again next year. Yeah. Don't give up. Listen, there, there's some things, and listen, depending on how old you are and how long you have been in that habitual activity, it may take you a little bit longer than someone who didn't have all those developed, you know, uh, 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 habits in their life to get rid of some stuff. It's going to take some work. If it took you 20 years to develop that habit, do you think it's going to take you two weeks to get it over with? Probably not. But here's what I, here, here is my challenge to you. This is my challenge. Right? Don't say I prayed about it. 
Don't say, man, you know, I really put this on my calendar and and, and I really, you know, want God to deal with this. Here's what I want to challenge you on. I want to ask you this question. At the end of the year, how many passages of scripture have you memorized that deal with that particular sin? In other words, how much time have you spent sanctifying yourself? How much time have you spent in God's word around that particular thing? Because you know what happens? Here's, here's what happens. I want God to deal with this. I want God to change this. We don't add any scripture to our life. We haven't changed our prayer life any, and yet we want to be more like Jesus. I'm sorry, guys. It doesn't work like that. Sanctification is a process. It's a partnership that we have with God. I know that was a long first point, but anyway, we'll run through the next two. <laughs> Thought I was done. Let me just wrap up right now. I'll send you the notes for the rest of this. <laughs> Say this with me. Say a unified witness is focused and firm. It ties in with what we're talking about with growing in this grace of God. See, our tendency, look what Paul says in verse 14. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Do you hear complaining and disputing in the church today? Nowhere at all. There's none of that. (laughs) Do all things without complaining and disputing. You know why this is encouraging? Because it was going on back then too. (laughs) This is nothing new. Right? There is nothing new. Anything that we're facing, anything that we're seeing, nothing is new under the sun. Issues are always going to be there. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become. I love that. He didn't say that you may continue to be. That isn't what he said. He said that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Is our generation crooked and perverse? It was crooked and perverse back then too. Nothing has changed. A crooked and perverse generation among whom, check it out now, you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. And I'll pause there. That we are supposed to be what? That we are supposed to not be complaining, not be grumbling. I love the way that this translation reads. All things be constantly doing without discontented and secret mutterings and grumblings and without discussions which carry an undertone of suspicion and doubt. You know what the thing is? Whenever we're going through hardship, you know what what we want to do automatically? When we are going through hardship, we automatically want to complain. That's just, listen... That's just natural. Things go hard. We want to complain. We want to doubt. We want to, we want to dispute. We want to argue. I don't know about you, and, 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 you know, I've only heard that this has happened, right? But, you know, sometimes folks have a bad day, and you just come home, and for some reason you are just foul and nasty to everyone. And every, I've never done anything like this. I'm just kidding. And then someone calls you out and like, yo, what's wrong with you? Like, I don't even know what's wrong with me. Like, I'm just, I'm just having a bad day. I, I just don't feel good about life right now. That's a natural tendency when we're going through hardship. But Paul says, don't be like that. So what does that mean? That means that when someone calls us out, yo, we need to repent. Don't shoot back. Don't, man, humble yourself. Humble your heart. Recognize, man, I'm in a bad place right now. I, I, need, I, need, to, I need to check myself. If, if that means you need to go in a room and say, babe, I'm not going in a room to turn on the TV. I'm going in a room to get on my face before God. I'm going in a room to just cry out to the Lord because right now I am being a jerk. I'm being what, if that's what that means, that's what that means. And then come out of the room. Don't just stay in the room. Hello. 
Come out of the room with a different attitude, with a different heart. Let God work in you. This is what you're supposed to be doing. See, when murmuring and negativity and discussions dominate your life, it hinders us from becoming. See, when we're complaining, murmuring, disputing, when we're, doing, when we're justifying ourselves, when we're doing all that stuff, you know what it hinders us from doing? From becoming blameless. From becoming those lights that are shining in the midst of this world. From becoming harmless, which means pure. From becoming without fault in a world that is looking. You know that the world is looking. Whether you like it or not, they're looking. And can I say it like this? We are either shining light for the gospel or throwing shade upon the kingdom. It is one or the other. We are either shining light for the gospel or we are throwing shade for the kingdom. We are throwing shade on the king. People are looking at us like, man, I don't know about that kingdom. I don't know about that, man. I don't know about those believers. I don't know about that guy right there. I don't know about that lady right there. I don't know if they're really about this Jesus that they're talking about. See, as witnesses for the gospel, our faith must be firm. I love what he says here as you look, as, as you continue on and you look at verse 16. He says there, holding fast the word of life. It, it isn't just about you holding on to the word of life for yourself. It's about holding out the word of life to others. See, because here's what should happen, is that when I am firm in my faith and I am firm upon the words of life for myself, it should motivate me to share with others. It should motivate me to extend that to other people because you know what I have? I have the words of life. You know what you need? You need the words of life. And so I don't just live in some echo chamber where I just talk to myself about Jesus, where I just worship Jesus and know him. No, wait a second. I am sharing him with others. That is what I'm called to do. Sharing the words of life with others. The third thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, a unified witness sees all of life as an act of worship. A unified witness sees all of life as an act of worship. <clears throat> Remember that Paul is writing a letter, and this is what he says to them. Verse 16, holding fast the words of life. In some translations, there's a period there. And Paul says this, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. What was his concern? Paul was concerned with the day that he stands before Jesus. <clears throat> because Paul realized his labor, his effort, was for what? It was for the people. It was for the church. He was laboring for the glory of God. But his labor was for them to be more like Jesus. And if he dies and stands before the Father and they have not worshipped God and obeyed God and worked out their salvation and lived for the glory of God, then it would seem like he labored in vain. His greatest concern was that he would stand before God one day and be judged and he wanted to make sure that it was not in vain. But look at what he goes on to say because remember, he's in prison. He says, yes. And if I am being poured out as a drink offering, he looks at the Old Testament, the way they used to pour out drink offerings in the Old Testament over the offerings on the sacrifice and service of your faith. And so his sacrifice was what? It was for the service. It was for the blessing. It was for the building up of their faith. Paul is encouraged by that. He says, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. In prison, he's saying, yes, man, I rejoice 
because I'm being poured out. I'm, I'm being sacrificed right now. I'm going through this hardship right now. But you know what I'm doing? I'm going through this for what? For the glory of God and for your faith. I'm going through this for the glory of God and for your faith. See, when life is not viewed as an act of worship, the good can lead us away from God as much as the bad. You see, when we don't see life as an act of worship, what happens to us is, man, we can go through good stuff and we start to forget about it. We start to, we start to waver. We, we start to move away because we're so focused on the good stuff, we're forgetting who gave us the good stuff. But then when life gets hard, oh, it's even worse. It's even worse. That's why we, if we're going to be unified in our focus, we have to be people who live our lives with an understanding that all of our life is an act of worship. The apostle Paul saw his suffering as an offering unto God on behalf of the people he was serving. And you know what? He found joy in that, and he called them to rejoice as well. He called them to rejoice as well. And I'll say this, part of our joy is recognizing God's work in others even in times of suffering. You know, you know what happens to us when, we, when, we, when someone is going through suffering and hardship many times? We don't have words to say, especially when someone goes through a elongated time of suffering, because for some reason we just think that God has to come into someone's situation and just make them stop suffering. Where does the Bible say that? It doesn't. I wish it did. I, I, wish, I wish that God was some genie in a bottle that we could just say, hey, I got a wish for you to come and accomplish now. You need to come and deliver me from the suffering. No, but you know what happens is as, as we understand who God is, we need to be able to see God's work even in somebody's suffering. And not just us see it and be like, hey, God is working. Let me keep moving on. No, no, no. Walk with them through that. Help them to see that. And you know what? How about this? When you're suffering, Help them to see God working in your suffering. Because that's what Paul was doing. Paul would say, man, I recognize my suffering, but I recognize it's for the glory of God. I recognize that my suffering, my hardship is for the glory of God. And this is why it is so important to be engaged in disciple making. Because as you are being discipled, guess what? Someone can help you grow through your suffering. As you are making disciples, guess what? You can help someone grow through their suffering and not get stuck and not give up on God. Because the fact of the matter is, is that whether you are a believer or not, suffering is going to be a reality in your life at some point. The question is, how do we deal with it? Well, we can either see God working in it, or we can't understand why God would allow it. It's one or the other. And listen, I said that really easily. That doesn't mean it's that easy. But that doesn't change the truth. It may be easier to say than to live, but it doesn't change the truth. God is there in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the suffering. And he's walking with us through it to give us peace, to give us strength. And that's why it is so important, church, because there is a world that is suffering. There is a world that is hurting there is a world that is sick and dying, and they need a unified witness. They need a unified witness from the church that cares about what Christ cares about, that is about this gospel mission that God has called us into. And so here's my closing question. It's twofold for you. The, number, the first part of the question is, do you understand the importance of our witness in the world? Do you understand our importance, the importance of our witness in the world? And are you committed to that witness. Do you understand how, listen, we cannot just walk away. 
We cannot just say, man, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm, I'm not engaging anymore. No. Our witness matters. You know, I've heard people say that we're fighting for the soul of this nation, and I would like to correct that statement because we are not fighting for the soul of this nation. We are fighting for the souls of this nation. Because all nations will bow and all nations will be gone, but the souls of people are what are either going to stand before God in judgment and be received into glory, or they are going to be cast out of God's presence for all of eternity. And so church, you and I need to recognize this, is that in the midst of the pandemonium, as Dr. Pete said on Tuesday, in the midst of the craziness that is going on, our witness matters. The souls in this nation matter. And the only answer is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your precious, precious sacrifice for us. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that has washed us and cleansed us and made us right before you. God, I pray this morning that we as brothers and sisters would run to you with all of our lives and with all of our hearts, and that we would surrender. That we would not hold on to our flesh, our desires, but God, that we would surrender to you in this work of sanctification. God, that we would become more like you and less like this world. Father, we thank you. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. And so we are going to partake in communion at this moment.